We are kind of wrapping up today our series on uh, the ABCs of financial freedom, and uh, today is C. We, we've done A, we've done B, and today is C, and the C stands for choice. It stands for choice because we have a lot of options. Taryn and I, um, as long as I've known her, we've always had this little back and forth when it comes to choosing what's for dinner. You guys are familiar with this, right? But particularly, like, we, we've actually sorted out the at-home deal, um, and we're figuring out what we're going to eat. It's when we're out to eat, nothing has changed. It's always the same old. I'm the type of person that I basically, in the first 30 seconds, if it's a restaurant that I've never been to, I can figure it out in the first 30 seconds what I want to eat. Um, Taryn, on the other hand, likes to kind of labor the process and really enjoy the, the thinking um, and she walks in like sees like an herb-crusted salmon on the thing, and she's like, oh, that sounds so good. But then by the time she's, you know, looking at the menu, well, that sounds good, too, and that sounds good, too. And she's got all these choices and doesn't know what she wants. And it's the same story every single time. The server comes up after, like, coming up for, like, the third or fourth time. Um, like, nope, we're, we're not ready. We're not ready. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> And like the fourth time the servers come up and be like, hey, I got a table here trying to make some money. And uh, she, she just looks to the server and says, well, if you were me, what would you order? <laughs> well, I'm glad that Taryn doesn't have allergies because then she'd just be getting like whatever these people give them, whatever they want. Um, we've always had this back and forth when it comes to choice. But when it comes in our relationship with God, particularly in the, uh, the area of, of finances, We'll make no greater choice in our life, whether it's finances or just our life as a whole. There's no greater choice that we can make than completely trusting God and obeying him. There's, there's no, it's, it's the first and greatest decision in the life of a believer is to trust God with everything, not with just a small portion that we want him to have control of or to fix, but all of it. When we trust and obey him, if you've been with us throughout this series, I, I want to catch you up if, you, if you've missed. The A stands for attitude. Attitude's everything, right? And if you don't have the right attitude to really get out of debt, if you don't really come in with a real focused mind, but the biggest part of the attitude, when our attitude shapes, is when we acknowledge the sovereignty of God over everything. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And when we acknowledge that, it changes our attitude and the way we look at what he has entrusted us to because it, we see it very differently. We see ourselves as stewards. The B that we talked about last week was about bondage and that Jesus and or God's plan from the beginning of creation is that we would experience freedom and that we would not be borrowers, but we would be lenders if you look into Deuteronomy. That his heart for us is that we would be so blessed that we would be able to lend and not even sometimes we would just write off debts because the only thing that we would owe one another is to love. Like that's God's heart is that we would be a blessing and we would walk in a life of blessing. And today we, we talk about choice. If we look back to the garden and we think about Adam and Eve, I love to like pull things back to the very beginning. You get a lot of clarity and understanding in the very beginning. If we go back to the garden with Adam and Eve, remember they have this, just picture it, this beautiful garden. Everything's around there, and God says, you can have whatever you want. Incredible freedom, except this one thing. Like, I, I, I need you to trust me here. And what do they do? They, they, don't, they don't trust. 
And so it started in this place. And, and for me, when I think about choice, I think it's probably the second greatest gift God ever gave us outside of Jesus. I think it's, it's, it's the second greatest gift. And while it's an amazing gift, I think it's kind of like giving a six-year-old a luxury vehicle to drive. You know, I, I don't know that we're best capable to always make good decisions. And so sometimes it feels like a little bit of a curse that we would even have to choose. So why would God give us choice? Well, I, I think God gave us choice for two reasons, for his glory and for his pleasure. That through our obedience and through our trust in him, all the world might see, and if you go back to that Deuteronomy passage that we were looking at, that life of blessing, everyone would acknowledge and give glory to God. That's, that's the first. And the second reason, I, I believe, is for his pleasure, that when we choose him and he delights in daily communion, not just like this one-time choice where we're like, yes, God, I want you to fix my problems. Yes, I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven. Sounds a little bit better. Like not just that, but a daily decision to commune and walk with God. That choice brings him great pleasure. When we stop in the busyness of our schedules and our routines and think of how good God is and the worship flows, and when we are going through a tough time and we say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in myself because that's when the problem started with Adam and Eve is when they didn't trust. And so it's about trust. And so I want to dive in today, and I've got a lot to share. I'm going to, I'm going to preach a message probably from a book in the Bible that you've never read or, um, or heard a sermon from, and I'm looking forward to diving into that. We'll end there. But this idea of choice will kind of be our overwhelming theme, and uh, we'll, we'll, the central topic that I want to dive into is the, the topic of tithing. We get questions about this a lot just out of a lack of understanding. People who have been raised in the church and underst- you know, understood uh, a lot of things about their walk with the Lord, but this aspect, I don't know that it's been clearly taught. And um, I- I'm very thankful, and I- I've been saying this throughout this series, that uh, you are such a, a generous church. You are. I-, I-, we're like, I-, I won't go into the-, the data behind it, but you're just an extremely generous church. You you believe and you trust God. And so I'm not coming at any place from other than just the highest view of the people in this room. Sometimes we think like the pastor's mad at us because whatever. Um, I don't know. That, that's, that's not me. Um, I, I want you to understand the, the purpose and the principles and the promises and the blessing behind it all. And so uh, we'll start in a familiar place for some of you and we'll end in a, in a very unfamiliar and fresh place. I think when we start talking about choice and when we start talking about tithing, I think it's important that we probably even start talking about budget because at some point, like that's usually where it ends. So what, why not? Let's just start there. Let's just talk about budget and help you understand um, really the, the history of the tithe. As we were talking about uh, Adam and Eve there. So Adam and Eve, like uh, the, in, the, in the garden creation, Genesis 1 and 2, chapter 3 is the fall of man. Chapter 4, we begin to see their offspring, Cain and Abel. And do you know that the, the, the tithe, the first fruits were actually instituted at this time? It's not all explicitly written, but, it, well, some of it's very explicitly written. The part that is not explicitly written in this portion early on is that there was, a, apparently God had made it clear to Cain and Abel what he wanted them to bring. Um, which was uh, a sacrifice. And the scriptures tell us that Cain brought some fruits. He brought some of it. Sounds like leftovers. Because Abel brought the first fruits. 
And what we see happen from there is that God denied, said, basically, I don't want it. <laughs> Keep it. Um, and, and, but for Abel, he said, because you brought your first fruits, I'll give you incredible blessings. So we begin to see the foundation in Genesis 4, from the very beginning, the first offspring. And why did, why did God institute this in this time and, and show such stern from two brothers who have had the same upbringing? Why did God bless one and the other not so much? Because he, he, he trusted him. And if you look back, like, remember your mom and dad, they didn't. So here's what happened. Your mom and dad didn't trust me. So I need something at the core of this for you to trust me. And I don't want you to bring me the leftovers. I want you to bring me the first. It's not, it's not really trust when it's leftovers, right? When I walk out of uh, a, a store and, and there's a homeless person standing there and I give them my leftovers, it doesn't really cost me anything except my lunch probably tomorrow or later in the week or it'll just be tossed. But when I go in and I actually go and purchase a meal for that person, that actually costs me something. It actually coming out of... My budget. And so let's talk about budget for just a second and then we'll we'll track track a little further in. There's four problems with the way we budget, I think. The first is that tithing's always last, and biblically, as we'll look in just a second, it, as we see even Genesis 4, that it's a, a call to, for it to be first. That tithing should be um, first. So and so the problem is that we, we put it last. The second problem is that savings is is second to last. Like, we think that's a leftover thing, too, and this isn't a big sermon about saving, but the scriptures say to, to set aside for a season. Some of you are in career, um, uh, careers where your money fluctuates throughout the year. If you're sales, like, there's certain times that are peak seasons, and you have to put back. You have to be smart. Like, the squirrels get it. The bears get it. Sometimes we as humans, as smart as we are, we, we, don't, we don't get it or understand it. So be smart about that. Don't make savings the very last thing. Make it to the second thing that you do. Um, uh, thirdly, we spend everything we make. Uh, we talked about this at the, the beginning of this, and uh, that everything that goes in, we just consume it all, and so there is no extra, uh, and there is no margin. And then lastly, our impulses aren't budgeted. Our impulses aren't budgeted. God wants us to trust him, and I think that happens when we set up a, a clear plan for how we're going to honor the Lord. You know, one in three people are actually happy about their financial situation. You're sitting with some people around you, like pick three of you, you know, one of you is actually happy of how things are going. Did you know also one in three people, according to Gallup, create a detailed budget? I wonder if it's the same third of people. I don't know. I don't know if it is. I just wonder if it is. Um... And so I, I think we've got to set aside a, a clear plan that honors the Lord, and we move from that place. So as we begin to, to track in here, I told you about Cain and Abel. By the time we get to Leviticus, it's now uh, a part of Jewish law. So it was never a part of law. It was just out of a, a principle of trust. And so many times we look at this as believers, that the, the conversation around tithing, as like a law that we have to do. But before, the origin is a, a principle of trust, it's a principle of trust that we, that we trust God in, in this and bring in the first fruits and his blessing follows it. So by, we, by the time we get to Malachi, and we'll look at that uh, in just a second, uh, he's harping on it now and trying to remind the people of it. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus affirming it. And in the New Testament, things transition from sacrifices and food and stuff, and, and it begins to become more monetarily 
uh, driven uh, in the New Testament. And he actually even says, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 16, bring it on the first day of the week. Like when you get together on Sundays, bring it in, not just the tithe, but more actually to go towards missions was his focus at that time. So God's, why does God require, God, why does God call for this in our lives? Very simple, trust. It's not a money issue. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. He doesn't need my money. It's not impressive to him at all. He doesn't need it. He wants your heart. He wants all of it. He said, where, Jesus said, where your um, treasure is there, your heart is too. And many times we'll push that away, but if we're really honest, our real trust is in our stuff. It's in our 401k, it's in our cars, it's in the security of our job, it's, it's in those things, and it's not, and maybe that hasn't been challenged in a little while to be revealed, but like we looked at last week, don't test God on the disobedient side, test God on the obedient side, as we'll look at here in Malachi. It's not a money issue, it's a, it's a master issue. Who do you trust? Who do you serve? Who do you live for? Many times we think like, Tithing is like icing on the cake for the believer. But really, in scriptures, it was just understood. It was a, a more of an elementary aspect of what it means to be a believer. It's not like tagging on and like, I'm super Christian now because I'm honoring God with the tenth. No, it, it's, it's more thought of in that time as just normal, like practice. And it was kind of the basics of what it means to walk with the Lord. And so I just want to kind of set that up, and for those of you that I haven't really explained this well enough yet, just get, give me time, we'll get into it. But the tithe, the literal meaning of that word is tenth, tenth. So we're talking about the, the, first, um, the first fruits, the first tenth of our uh, income. And so if you make, let, let me take me for example, All right, I make tables on the side, that's kind of a, a side gig, a side hustle for me, is I make farmhouse tables. And so let me say, let me just for um, uh, numbers sake, let's say I sell a table for $1,000, right? And I have materials in that table of, you know, $300. I have $700, that's the profit, right? That's the money I actually made from that. So my tithe on that would be what? $70. Some people are good at math, like you guys are mathematicians, right? That's the, that's the tithe, that's the tenth. That's a, it's trusting him in that. Let's look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to begin with verse 9, and we'll settle in verses 10 to 11, but I'm telling you, I'm going to Haggai, and if you've heard a message on Haggai, you just let me know after service. I, I doubt you have. He's a, a minor prophet. We'll talk more about that here in a minute, um, and that's really where I want to land and spend my time and share my heart and teach through that. But this passage uh, really teaches it out very well. Um, o- obedience is what leads to trust and what leads to freedom is trusting God. Malachi says this, you're under a curse, you whole nation, because you're robbing me. He was talking to the people about withholding the tithe. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough, uh, there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. I want to talk to you just real quickly about the principle here, um, about the purpose and the promise, and then I want to get to, to Haggai. Just to let you know, the, the two prophets we're going to talk about are minor prophets today, Malachi and Haggai. It's the last three books in the Old Testament is 
is Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Rarely read books. Like once we get to the end of the New Testament or in the Old Testament, we're like, let's just jump over to the Jesus stuff and you know, jump in there. And we have these three, and they're known as minor prophets, not because their content is subpar or substandard, but just because the length of it. Uh, it's, it's short. It's very brief. Um, Haggai is two chapters. Zechariah is um, not a whole uh, large in comparison to Isaiah that's um, like 70. And uh, uh, Malachi is a few, just a handful of chapters as well. So that's why they're called minor prophets. And all three of these last books in the Bible come from these prophets who prophesied just after the uh, people of God came back to Jerusalem. And they were restoring Jerusalem, and it was about rebuilding the temple. And so everything that we're going to see is after Babylonian captivity in these two prophets. Uh, Haggai's the first voice we hear once they return. Malachi's going to be the last one we hear after their return. And so here, both of them we see talking um, about this. So let's go back to this. The first thing is the principle. The principle here is that it's about trust. It's not about the money. It's not a money issue. It's, it's a master issue. It's, a, it's about trust, and God's bringing that in. It starts in verse 9 where it says, you're robbing me. Like, you're under a whole curse. And like most of us, like, God, throw in a curse? I think it's the idea that when we walk in disobedience, you pretty much feel like you're kind of under some curse and under doing your own thing. It's in, it's in obedience that we find freedom and we find blessing. The principle here, let, let me put it like this. If you found out today, let's say you gave today in some way, and then later this week you found out that an usher, um, an elder in the church, or the pastor, or someone on staff stole, was stealing money, and we had to be open about it next week. I got up here on the stage and said, hey, this person stole from the church. It happened in a church of some people that are very close to me. Happened in the past two months, they fired somebody for it. So it happens. You've seen YouTube videos. Of, did you guys see that? There's like this YouTube video of this usher like stuffing it in there. We try to get two guys leading the money back there. So anyway, um, but if you found that out, you would be mad. You'd be mad because it was not designated for Joe's, you know, um, car repairs. It was not. It was designated for the house of God and for ministry to happen. And we would get mad about that. And so that's the same principle here. God's mad because it, he, he says the first tenth is, is mine. You're, you're robbing me, we said. It's a principle of trust. And there, there's lots of, I think, principles kind of built in here. The first is that it belongs to the Lord, and that we trust him with it. I think there's all kinds of things in here. We're to bring it. We're to bring it to the storehouse, which is the local church. Uh, we're to bring the whole tithe, not just a portion of it, to bring the whole tithe. This is what God's instilled. And you say, well, no, nobody in the New Testament talked about it. Jesus didn't talk about it. He did. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, I think it is. It's 1 Corinthians 16, 16. I think it's Matthew chapter 23, 23. But the Pharisees are trying to, you know, um, pay the tithe and honor the Lord in the tithe and trust him with that. But then they're not being faithful. They're not practicing mercy. They're not practicing justice. And, you know, Jesus is like, look, look, you, you got to do, do both. You can't just, like, pick and choose. And, and like, honoring God with that, you, you don't just pay off your sins. It's not what this is. It's trust. It's a principle of trust. It's a relationship with God that's built on trust. And nothing is closer to our heart. When people ask me about this, I, I usually explain it with the principle of the Sabbath. 
before the Sabbath was a law, within Jewish law, God established it and he, he made an example about it in creation. And so before it was ever uh, law, it, it was an example, and that was about the relationship, and it was a, they're both about trust. The two things that are so scarce resources in our world, time and money, and God says, trust me with them. First, not last, trust me in them. So not just the, um, the principle here, that's about trust, but the purpose. You're like, well, why? Well, in the scripture, it tells us exactly why. You can throw that up there. Uh, that there may be food in my house. That there may be ministry that can happen. God's desire is that the church, the local church is so resourced that we can, um, we can do incredible things in this city and that everybody looks on that like, whoa, those people are, are debt free. They're, they're, they're um, going out and they're feeding the hungry. They're clothing the naked. They're, they're getting people that are homeless. They're getting them reestablished. And they're doing so much good in our city and, and it's all for glory to God. So the purpose is that so the church might be fully resourced and that incredible ministry can happen out of the local church. And then thirdly is the promise. He says, test me in this and see if I will not. See if I won't do it. It's the only place in the scripture where we really see God say, test me. I don't know. When I talk to my kid and I tell him, test me in this. <laughs> it's not usually in a good connotation. It's not usually in a good connotation. But every once in a while, it is. Like with Camden, we were at the playground yesterday, and there's the fireman's pole, and it was, it was probably eight foot high, and I'm trying to get him to come off, and he's like doing this, and he's like trying to do this, and he's, he's so stumpy, like he's just trying to like reach and, and get over there to it, and um, I'm like, boy, just trust me. I didn't say, test me in this, you know, but I said, trust me, like you're going to enjoy it, and he finally did, and he loved it, and he wanted to do it like 20 more times and wore me out doing it. Um, there, there was a, there was, it's a trust factor there. So, like, this is not like a, a negative trust. God's like, you're going to love it. It's going to blow your mind. How he provides for you, how he opens up the windows of heaven. The promise here is not just blessing that will open up the windows of heaven, but, but preservation, that the things that you do have, he'll preserve. And I've seen that so real in my life. Um, I was uh, talking with just recently uh, Jessica and Jason Miles on our team here. They're up in Ohio on vacation today. And Jessica went uh, headed up, up northbound of 95 and noticed her oil light came on. Uh, Jason had topped her off and everything the night before. Long story short, um, her car should have blown up about 100 miles before where she was because it had no oil in it. The cap was left off and the whole, the whole hood was just left with oil everywhere. That car will blow up fast. Trust me, I blew up one just like that. <laughs> I, I did. When I was 16 years old, I blew up an engine with no oil in it. And it didn't take long for that to empty out. And they just, they ended up finding a mechanic on the gas station. And he just said it just, it was a complete miracle. The, the guy said, you should have been <laughs> done a long time ago. That's preser it's preservation. It's preservation. God can do that, and he, he does. And so there's a promise there to us. There's the principle, there's the purpose, and the promise. So now, in this passage, we really see that, that God can bring incredible blessing on our life when we trust him. From the very beginning in Genesis, it was all, it was all about trust with choice. And then here, I want to turn to um, Haggai. Haggai chapter 1. It's, there's only two chapters, so you know I can't preach that long on it, right? Um, 
Haggai chapter 1, some of you are like, yeah, right, I've heard you. <laughs> um, so the people have come back. If you remember Nehemiah, in Nehemiah, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Nehemiah gets back. In 52 days, they rebuild the walls, kind of gathering together what's called a remnant, which is those that are left over, that those that have come back around the remnant. He gathered them together. They rebuilt the walls. And then in Nehemiah chapter 12, the people begin to rebuild the temple, the house of God there in Jerusalem. But their energy and their excitement wanes after a little while, and they get caught up in their own affairs. And without, you know, Nehemiah's, you know, stirring it up and keeping them going there and getting everybody on a job and so the people begin to do this, and so now for 15 years, the temple has laid unfinished. It's, it's rough. It's kind of like what I kind of imagined when we kind of showed up on this property. It was kind of in, it was in rough shape. We had to build teams and put it together, and we did it in not 52 days, but like six months, you know, and renovate. And um, so that's kind of where we find the, the the remnant that's left over is about 50,000 people. The 50,000 people are made up of Levites, people that come from um, a certain family that was really focused on caring for the temple, those that have been, quote-unquote, raised in the church. There was the priests, and then there was this, this other hodgepodge of people, many that were, were poor and um, you know, were, were up for for helping and, and diving in there that had got back into Jerusalem because they didn't have other places or stable family situations, so they found themselves back in Jerusalem. And I, and I want to read today. I just want to read very kind of straight through and teach this. The rest of this time, let's kind of just take everything that we've just learned and kind of talked about and just kind of set that aside for a second and just focus on this passage and just let God speak into our lives. Haggai chapter 1, let's read. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time is not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses, which are nice houses, while this house remains a ruin. God, was, was that sarcastic by God? <laughs> it, it feels like a little bit of sarcasm by God. Like, is it time for you to do this? Is it, you know? And here's the heart of what he's saying, is that you're caught up in your own affairs. You're making excuses for why you're not honoring me and putting me first. And I, I think the question that I would ask us today is, why do, do we find ourselves in that? Is it out of selfishness that we just do, it? Do we just get caught up in the earthly stuff that's just there? It's a part of life, and it's going to keep coming. It's not going to slow down. There's going to be more things that come. And so God is really stopping saying, look, you got time for other stuff, but you don't have time for me? You don't have time for me? And it goes back to our budget, and if we flip that over to time, too, like, not budgeting our time on that? And so God's beginning to you know, speak very boldly to them. And I, I believe it boils down to a, a trust issue of why are we putting ourselves first and not putting God first in everything. Um, verse five. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. 
You have planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. If you were in our workshop, we talked about the purse with holes in it because you've probably got 7% of your budget that's just leaking out of something. On coffees, on random subscriptions you haven't canceled, under, I mean, you name it, like, there's probably five, five, seven percent that's just leaking out, purses with holes in it. I'll keep going. This is what the Lord Almighty says. He says it again. Give careful thought to your ways. Just stop there for just a second. Two times he says, slow down. Think, think about what you're doing. I feel like I'm talking to my three-year-old again, my, or my six-year-old. Are, are you thinking about your actions how is that working out for you right now? You know, it's like a Dr. Phil saying, how's that working for you? Um, that's, what, that's what God's saying through Haggai right now. It's like, look, you're doing all these things. You're planning, but you're not getting much back. And why is this? And so God gives this command. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber, timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Why? That I may take pleasure in it and be honored. His glory, his pleasure, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the field. God's saying, I called for the drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and on livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Because of disobedience, because of putting yourself first. So in Malachi, we see that God holds the keys to the blessing. And here we see that God can also go completely the other way and can dry it up. And that goes back to our, our acknowledgement of his sovereignty over all of, it, and all of it. And when it comes back down to it, do we trust him? Do we, it's, a, it's a principle of trust. Do we trust him? And God's saying, get, get back to work on the house of God and keeping the... the um, Jesus said, anybody that puts their hand to the plow and turns back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And, and I know what it's like. I, I get it. Like, I got a lot on my plate, too. Like, if I was just a dad of three kids, I felt like that would be enough. <laughs> like, if I wasn't doing anything else. But I got a lot on my plate, too, so I get it. But the principle here is, is that God's sovereign over it all, and he wants us to trust him with the first and put him first in everything. Um, and he's saying, think about it. Think about it. How's that working for you? Uh, let's continue reading. Then, uh, then uh, Zerubbabel, uh, Joshua, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. This is what they, they obey. They turn in obedience and look what happened. This is, this is powerful right here. Verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message to the Lord, uh, of the Lord to the people. Catch this. I'm with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the whole 
and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people, they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. End of chapter one. He, he says this, I am with you. And God stirred up the spirit of each one of these men, each one of these people, this remnant that was left over. God stirred up the spirit when they obeyed God. And I just wonder, like in this place, like if, if there's anybody in the room that's kind of struggling with trusting God and, and obedience follows that trust. And he's put some faith in, in your heart. He has. He's planted it. it. It just needs to be watered through obedience. It just needs to be watered through the fellowship of the body. It just needs to be watered. And I believe that when we walk in that obedience, God stirs up the spirit within us to focus on what matters most in life. And that I believe that this would just breathe so much energy and, and excitement and motivation into our nine to fives if we really understood that God wants to be first in everything. Because when that's the case, we all of a sudden we have inspiration when we go to work. Come on, anybody else a drag? God, it's Monday. I love Mondays. I love Mondays. And I believe that, that God can bring inspiration in you too where it doesn't have to be a drag. You're not waiting for hump day. You're not you know, TGIF by the time it gets Friday. God brings inspiration as we walk in obedience just on a daily basis because he delights in that communion. And as we do, I believe that he's just gonna stir up a spirit within us to be about the, the Lord's business. Not just when you're here in this because the temple of the Holy Spirit is right here. It, it, it's, it's filling us. We are the church. It's not about the building. This building could burn down and they could rip it out of our hands. The city could come in and rip it out of our hands, but the kingdom of God would still advance. Fathom Church would still go forward in the mission of God. So it, it, it's not about that. It's about the body of Christ being focused on the mission of God. And part of that is through the ministry um, that we are able to through finances. Look at chapter two, and I'm gonna close. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He's giving you very specific stuff. This is the day he spoke to me. That's pretty awesome. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong. Before we get there, he's referencing the previous version of the temple before it was overtaken, before Nebuchadnezzar went in there and ran everybody out. It's been run down for a long time. It's just been sitting there. Before it was Solomon's temple, and it was beautiful. Like there, Everything was adorned, like just very lavish and beautiful. And now he's like, how many of you were here back in the day, right? He's like... It, well, look at it now. He's like, it's nothing. It's, there's no comparison to what it used to be now in the physical. And this is what God says to them. But be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. Be strong and work. Be strong and work. This is what I, that's a tough word for me to say, covenanted. I, I, it's hard for me to say, I'm sorry. This is what I promised with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you, and do not fear. Be strong. My spirit remains. Don't fear. I believe that God's speaking into our life to just be reminded of his promise. Be reminded 
of his presence, that he's here with us. Be reminded of his power that you have no reason to fear when you trust him with the tenth or when God tells you to, to go and talk to that random stranger at Walmart and that's just so far out of your comfort zone. Like, Be strong and do the work of the Lord, whatever that looks like on whatever day. Be strong. Know that his presence is still with you. Like It's going with you. When he gave us our mission statement as the church, go at the very end, he said, I am with you. I am with you. You don't need to fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house says the Lord Almighty, and in this place I will grant shalom peace, declares the Almighty. I could, I could talk to you for the next two hours on what I feel like this text means to our church prophetically. I, I, could, I could talk to you for a couple hours and just pour out my heart on what I truly believe God's speaking over our church right now. I'll try to summarize it in a little less than two hours. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> God's speaking this to some of us today. Be strong and work. Stay focused. Be strong and work. Don't, don't get caught up in left and right. Don't get caught up on putting yourself first. Just put him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Put him first. Put him first. Put him first. When God is calling you to be about his business, the business of the kingdom on a daily basis. Like, don't, don't say no. Don't walk in disobedience. When you do, don't be surprised if, if, if things start drying up. And be like, well, no, it's my boss. Maybe, maybe God's allowing this to happen to shape our trust in him. Maybe, just maybe, God's instituted these principles from the very beginning of creation. Instituted and set an example for these principles that we might know an intimate relationship with him that would breathe life and that we wouldn't walk in our own strength and our own ability to make income and our own ability, but we might understand overflow as we trust him and we might understand intimacy as we delight ourselves in him like he delights in us. I'm, just, I'm calling you to just be strong and work today. Be strong and be about the Father's business. If you think I've got any other kind of agenda and I've got a big altar call or, or a, a big um, uh, offering ask or a big capital campaign, I don't. I'm just calling you to continue to be about, about the Father's business. Like, be strong and know that his promise is over your life and his presence is with you every day of your life. And his power is available for you in every moment and every situation. He is able. What I'm calling you to is not a money issue. It's a master issue and a trust issue. Just, just trust God today. Just trust God today. I want to ask you to stand, and I'm going to invite anyone in this house that wants to walk in obedience with all they have to, to come to the table and come to this altar for prayer in just a moment. We could keep going with the alphabet. The D is for decision. We have a choice. And at some point, like Taryn, at some point when we're sitting at that table, she's got to make a decision. Come on, babe, make a decision. Many of us, we sit in indifference about God's principles and his commands. 
and we reap the consequences of our indifference. Trust him. Let's let God call us out of our indifference and into complete obedience. Theodore Hesburgh said this, you don't make decisions because they're easy. You don't make them because they're cheap. You don't make them because they're popular. You make them because they're right. And God's calling us to walk in righteousness and obedience to him. And I want to pray with you today. God, I thank you in this place that there's fullness of joy and there is a, there is a people who are hungry to see your will be done, who, who are willing and hungry, God, to see your glory fill the house of the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is each individual. God, and even this physical building that your glory might be manifest in this place. Greater than it has in, in ever in this facility, ever in this piece of property, ever on this road. God, do something fresh in us that there will be no comparison. Forget the physical, God. The comparison will rob us of our joy, God. Help us to just lock in and just trust you and be strong and work and believe in your promise, God. Believe in your presence that's always with us and your power that's available to us. I thank you for this day, God. Call us out of our indifference into Radical obedience in Christ's name. Amen.